So once again, I just want to wish uh, all the moms happy Mother's Day. Um, obviously, when Mother's Day comes around, I think about my own mom and uh, and just something you know. Unique. Uh, my mom, whenever since she was a kid, well, at some point, at some point in her life, she um, got it in her heart she wanted to be a missionary, and um, she uh, heard about this thing that was back in the day called, I think it was like SS Hope or the Good Ship Hope. And right now they're called Mercy Ships. So back then it was this thing where if you were a medical personnel, you could, you could um, get on this ship and you could go around the world and just do medical missions all over the place. And my mom had heard the call of Jesus in Matthew chapter 25 where he says, um, I was hungry and you, you fed me. I was uh, naked and you clothed me. I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. I was ill and in prison and you came and visited me. She heard that and was like, I want to do that. I want to be that missionary to serve those people who are hungry and thirsty and naked and, and um, sick. And so she went to nursing school. And that was, I think, part of her plan was this prayer of like, yeah, this is my plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what Jesus asked me to do. And she went to nursing school and then she met my dad. <laughs> and, um, and that was it. Um, she kept, became a nurse and she uh, uh, did nursing and you know, paid my dad's way through medical school and worked for him that way and served the family. And, and then she just never never went on mission. And I guess she would, she would say that uh, she couldn't because she was too busy being a mom. That she had this plan, but then it just, you know, never worked out. Because why? Because I'm just, again, too busy being a mom. And I imagine so many moms get that. Like you have all these plans, all these dreams, all these hopes, and then just, yeah, the plan goes to the side because you're just too busy being a mom. Um, we'll come back to that. But it's not only Mother's Day this weekend, it's also our, uh, our students last weekend on campus. Last week was finals. This would have been our seniors baccalaureate mass. And so this is kind of our Mother's Day slash baccalaureate mass for all the seniors who are, are joining us. Um, not just here in Duluth, uh, UMD at St. Scholastica, like Superior College, but also across the country. Just recognize that this could be, um, hopefully for you, we'll pray with you and pray for you that this is your baccalaureate mass, that this mass that kind of sends you out. But, but to look back over the last number of years that you spent in college and to realize that all the work and all the decisions, that all the investment that went into this, all the time, all the energy, all the, the money, <laughs> um, and all the stress that went into the last four or more years for some of you was because you had a plan. Like the plan is I'm going to go to co this college and I'm going to get this major and I'm going to get that job. And it's so interesting because you have this plan. We, have, we all have this plan when you go off to college. And I don't know if you know this, I read a statistic recently that said that regardless of the fact that so many college students have a plan, um, I have this major because I want to work in this field, that 20, only 26% of college graduates actually get a job in a field related to their major. I want to say that one more time. Only after all this planning, after all this effort, all this investment, all this time, all this work, all this like, you know, I'm going to focus on this and major in this, only 26% of college graduates actually end up getting a job in a field that's even related to their major. That they could say like, oh, here I am. I majored in this, but I'm working here. I had a plan and it didn't work out. And I, I think it can, th this kind of moment can be one of those transition times that you can feel really, it's really clear that life is insecure. Like in this kind of moment where you have a plan, it's like, no, and actually I have based my entire life off of this plan. And then I realized as I take taking this next step, this next step is absolutely a step into uncertainty. It's absolutely a step into insecurity. In fact, it's maybe the first truly insecure step that some people have maybe ever taken. Because if we think about, um, I mentioned this last year at Baccalaureate Mass, but I think it's worth re reminding us, um, especially if you experience a lot of stress over this next step, that makes sense because 
up to now, you've been on track. Like up to now, you've been on the track. In fact, uh, if you've been going to school, you know, at some point you go to kindergarten, and then after you get done with the kindergarten, you know the next step. The next step is first grade. And then they actually number it out for you. It's like one to two, to three, to four. And maybe you get to the end of elementary school, and then it's time to go into junior high. Um, that's stressful, okay, fine. But at the same time, it's very clear what the next step is. The plan is, okay, go from whatever you consider elementary school, you know, fifth grade, into middle school, sixth grade, very clear. And that step into high school might be stressful. Now you have some choices. You have electives you can take, but still, it's just, okay, go to 10th grade. You know where the school is. It's just, you just stay on track. And if you went from high school to college, if you went from high school to like work, then you know what this step is all about already. If you went from high school right into the, into the labor force, you know exactly. It's like, okay, the track is done. And now it's just, there's no more track. It's just all insecurity. It's, it's, it's all uncertainty because you go to college, still on track. You have to choose things or again, stressful but now you're done and it's like, okay, I am face to face with the reality that life is uncertain. And um, we look back and sometimes in this moment of insecurity, we realize, okay, I thought I had hope. We talked about hope a couple weeks ago. Like I thought I had hope. Um, I thought I had courage. We talked about courage last week. I thought I had confidence and you probably did. I had hope. I had courage. I had confidence, but I had hope in my plan. I had hope. I had courage in my plan. I had, I had confidence in the plan. And now, oh my gosh, what's the next? I don't even know what's next. And now, okay, caveat, it is good to plan. Like, so good to plan. We talked about this last weekend as well. We need to prepare for the future. We need to have what you call is forethought, right? We need to think about the future. We need to think about the plan. We need to ask the question, okay, God, where is it you want me to go? We need to have forethought. But no matter how much forethought we have, we cannot have foresight. Like, no matter how much we think about the future, we cannot ever possibly see the future. And so planning is good, but as Mike Tyson once said, um, as the quotable Mike Tyson once said, he says, when you get into the ring, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And that's the fact that matters. We have, for, we have to have forethought. We cannot have foresight. Everyone has a plan until like reality hits you hard, bro. And then it's just like, what do I do now? Um, maybe more quotable, Dwight Eisenhower, famous general. When it came to planning, he said, um, and, and when going into battle, I have discovered that plans are useless. That, yeah, just like nothing works out the way you want. That plans are useless. But he went on to say, but planning is indispensable. I've discovered that plans are useless because when it hits up against reality, like, man, that's, it's, it's rough. But planning, actually engaging, having forethought, thinking about the future, that's indispensable. Because Eisenhower knew about this thing called the fog of war. The fog of war is that, um, it, my best understanding is, the fog of war is in the midst of battle, in the midst of all this strategy, there's so much uncertainty. There's so many variables you have no idea of, you have no control over, because you might have a great plan, but newsflash, someone wants to actually defeat you in your plan. Someone actually wants to mess up your plan. And so in war, you have this thing called the fog of war, which is so much uncertainty, so much insecurity, but you have to move forward. That's why, again, last quote from a military person, um, there's a, a Prussian general back in the early 19th century, his name is Cardinal Van Clausewitz. And he said this, he said, we must be confident that the general measures we've adopted will produce the measures we expect. We have to be confident that the measures we've adopted will produce the measure we expect. Like that's, that's our plan. Um, and if we've made the appropriate preparations taking into account all possible misfortunes so that all, not, all will not be lost immediately if they do not occur, occur. We, after planning. He says, after planning, then, here's the line, then we must boldly 
advance into the shadows of uncertainty. After all that planning, we have to then boldly advance into the shadows of uncertainty. After all of that, we have to walk into insecurity, which can be absolutely massively painful. So painful. I remember talking with this man, actually, and contacted me because he um, had discerned and decided that God has call, would call, called him to a particular ministry in the church. And so, uh, he, in order to do this, he had to leave his home. He had to leave his uh, people, all the people who knew him. He had to take this massive risk, move across the country, and get involved in this church ministry. And um, he thought it was a good plan. He thought it was God's will. He thought it was super selfless of him just to like, leave everything and, and pursue the Lord. And nothing worked out the way he wanted. Nothing worked out the way he planned. It all kind of, basically, it all went wrong. And he asked me, he's like, what? Did I discern wrong? Like, was that the wrong decision? And it's so important for us to realize that just because the original plan didn't work out the way we wanted to, didn't mean it was the wrong plan. Or just because the original plan didn't work out the way we thought it would, didn't mean it was the wrong decision. This is true for every one of us. Just because my original plan failed, didn't mean taking that step was the wrong step. Because maybe where you thought God was going to plant you was maybe the place where he was just bringing you to purify you. Maybe the place you thought God was going to plant you was actually the place God was bringing you to simply prepare you for that next step. Maybe what you thought would be like, no, this is God's plan. I signed up for this. And he says, okay, then she took that step to sign up for this. Here's the actually where I really want you. That's in the first reading today, Acts chapter 6. Um, you have Stephen, right? You have the early church. And Stephen's part of the first deacon class of the church. And what it describes is the apostles, and they realize there's so much stuff to do in the early church that they need to not only preach the word, they also need to heal people. They also need to take care of the sick. There's vulnerable, vulnerable, vulnerable? How easy for me to say. Oh, vulnerable people in the church that they're like, we need to take care of these people. We don't have the time. And so the apostles selected these seven men and said, okay, well, we go preach. What your job is, we're going to consecrate you, we're going to invite you, we're going to ordain you to serve these poor people, to serve the, the, the vulnerable among us. Basically, um, to be servants of the servants of God. And so among them was Stephen. Imagine Stephen discerning this, like, yeah, I've discerned this, they've called me, I'm going to decide, I'll be a deacon. And the very next thing we see Stephen do, right after his, or the next time we see Stephen, is he's in the temple preaching, like he's proclaiming the word. In fact, all of chapter 7 is Stephen preaching the word. Like, and imagine that Stephen is being called upon, like, no, no, no. Imagine Stephen going like, listen, I'm not, not called to preach the word. I was ordained for a specific purpose. I was ordained to, uh, to serve. In fact, that's a good thing. That's what Jesus did, right? Jesus at the Last Supper, Stephen heard the stories. Jesus at the Last Supper took off his outer garments, got down on his hands and knees, and he washed the disciples' feet. And Jesus said, I did not come to serve, but to be served, but to serve. And here's Stephen like, no, 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 I'm not going to lord it over anyone. I'm not here to teach. I'm here simply to serve. And the apostles and the Lord are like, okay, you were ordained for this, but actually you're called to that. And you didn't discern wrongly. And you didn't decide incorrectly. Where you thought God would plant you, he was simply preparing you to preach. Of course, what that led him to was to be martyred by the end of chapter 7. Stephen has become the first martyr in the early church. And that wasn't the plan. That wasn't the plan. I'm guessing that it was not on Stephen's radar, Stephen's part of Stephen's plan, that when the apostles asked him if he would be willing to lead the local soup kitchen, that that would end up leading to his death. 
But just because the original plan changed does not mean that it was wrong. And just because you discerned and decided does not mean that you're done. Just because you discerned and decided on a plan does not mean you're done. Because life, following Christ, is not about having a plan. It's not about living out a plan. It's about, it's about the process of becoming. And following Christ, again, it's not about living on a certain plan. It's about the process of becoming. One of my uh, heroes is a man named Father Walter Chizek. Some of you have heard me talk about him a thousand times because I just he's one of my heroes. And Father Chizek, normal guy in the early part of the last century here in the United States, um, went to school like normal guys. He played football like normal people. Um, at one point, though, he recognized his call to be a priest. And so he took that courage and went to seminary. This is the plan. I'm going to be a priest here in my local diocese here in the United States. But at one point, the Holy Father, the Pope, had said, you know what? We need priests to, who are willing to be missionary priests. And not only missionary priests, we need them to be missionary priests to Russia, communist Russia at the time, that was atheist and communistic regime. And so Father Walter Chizek said, okay, that's what I'll do. He discerned priesthood and he discerned, I'm going to be a missionary priest. He discerned, I'll be a missionary priest in Russia. And he went and did all that training. His whole plan was, I'm going to get into Russia and I'm going to bring the gospel there. So he gets ordained and he gets sent to Poland and he has to try to find a way into Russia from Poland, but he can't get past all the guards and all the security and all these things. And then Russia invades Poland and Father Chizek realizes, okay, I'm kind of in, I'm kind of in Russia now. And he's like, okay, now is when I can live out, live out this plan. But what happened was after two weeks of being uh, undercover missionary in communist-occupied Poland, he got captured. And here's Father Chizek's plan. If I'm captured, I will be faithful to the Lord. If I'm captured, I will be unbreakable. If I'm captured, they will never be able to strip my faith away from me. But after a year of solitary confinement, after a year of every single day being interrogated by those Russian agents, Father Chizek was broken. At one point, he describes in his book, the book's called He Leadeth Me, he describes that um, they led him to this room of interrogation and they put documents in front of him that would disavow the United States government and he just signed it. He's so broken. They put documents in front of him that disavowed the Vatican. He just signed them. Documents in front of him that disavowed the church. He signed it. Disavowed Jesus and he signed it. And then when he signed everything they put in front of him, they left him in his cell by himself with nothing but his embarrassment, with his failure, with his guilt, with his shame. And then they finally sent him to a Soviet gulag in Siberia. And here's Father Chizak looking at his life and saying, okay, not only did my plan not work out, look at inside of me, like I can't even be a missionary. My plan was to go to the Russian people and bring them Jesus. And here I am in a Soviet gulag surrounded by, wait, Russian people <laughs> in need of Jesus. And it was in the midst of that failure, in the midst of Father Chizek's plan not being reality, that he realized that he had a decision. He could realize that either I'm stuck here or I've been led here. He could look at this situation in two ways. Either I've been abandoned here or I've been brought here. They do that either this is the thwarting of my plan or this is actually the way that Jesus wants me to live, this way that he wants me to walk. This is actually part of his plan. That's the case with all of us, right? We have our plan and then it doesn't work out. Our options are we either can have resentment and anger that my plan has been taken away, resentment and anger that my plan has been thwarted, or we can have recognition that God is even here in the midst of insecurity and a willingness to adapt to the reality of insecurity. Because we realize this, right? Life is, life is change. 
Like to be alive is to change. Which means that to take a step is always going to be to risk because life is insecure. And to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, is to be willing to keep discerning. Not just discern and I'm done, but to keep discerning, to keep deciding, and to keep being willing to adapt. Every single one of us have to, have to cultivate a willingness, an ability to let go of our plans. When God makes it very clear, or when reality makes it very clear, that that's the next good step that every one of us needs to take. Um, because we all know, we all know people who, um, when their plans are thwarted and the plans are taken away, they become resentful, they become bitter, they become small. You know, there's a quote I came across that said, uh, no plan survives first contact with the enemy. Another way to say it is, no plan survives first contact with reality. I had my dream, I had my vision, I had my plan, but no plan survives first contact with reality or with the enemy. What matters is how quickly the leader is able to adapt. What matters is how quickly the leader is able to adapt. To get past that disappointment. In other words, to get through the resentment, which can be a really big deal, so I want to pause on this for a second. To get through that heartbreak. Because this is what all of us need to do. We need to be, we need to be able to get through the plan-altering and dream-crushing and heart-destroying moments. We need to be able to get through those seasons. But here's something for, for just this for you. But you don't have to rush through those things. Yes, we have to get through them, but you don't have to rush through them. It's not a race. Those things are real. Like if you find yourself right now in your job and it's just like this massive insecurity and this massive like, this is not the job I planned on. This is not the life I wanted. And you're looking at your life right now saying, did I just waste everything? And there's this grief that comes along with this. Like, okay, you have to get through that. That, that there are relationships. You can look back on maybe the primary relationship in your life and you say, I messed that up. I did that. I I messed up, I made choices, I made decisions that destroyed my marriage, that destroyed my relationship with my parents, that destroyed my relationship with my kids. Like, I did that, I messed that up, and I have to, we have to learn how to get through that kind of thing. And maybe it was a situation where the, situation where the other person walked away. And this person that had promised you their entire life said, I take it back. And they messed up the plan. You know, again, it's Mother's Day. These moms, um, too many of you moms know, too many of you moms know that being a mom is all about giving yet, but it's all about risk. Like you risk your heart every day just to become a, to be a mom, to be a parent. Because you know the, the insecurity, the uncertainty of life. Just you realize that this person, these people that have given you your greatest joy and greatest hope also can give you your greatest heartbreak. And too many of you moms know exactly what it's like to have your kids being take, be taken away. Like too soon. And it's really easy to not just be in grief, because that's necessary, not just be in grief, but to be in resentment. Not just to mourn the loss of the plan and mourn the loss of this person that you've been made for, that was made from you. 
but to also become bitter about it. But I, how, do I, how do I let go of that plan? Knowing that God has not abandoned me here, but he's going to bring me here and bring me through this. You know, sometimes even worse, there's the, the pain of you've raised your kids and you've tried to teach them who Jesus was and, and now your kids don't even care about their own souls. They don't even care about Jesus. They don't even care about that uh, they've walked away from God and his church. And every time you think of that, it just crushes your heart once again. And lastly, of course, we can't forget those couples who you got married and you're like, our plan is it's marriage and the family. So we're married. Where's our family? You can't seem to get pregnant. You can't seem to have kids. Maybe you got pregnant and then just keep, the babies keep uh, perishing. Or the person, the, the single person who's just like, you know, through your life, all your friends, they get married, they find someone, your, your family members, they find someone, they get married, and you're waiting, waiting for this to happen to you. And that was your hope. And that was your plan. And that was the thing you counted on. And it just hasn't happened to you. Like, what do, you, what do we do in the midst of that? How do we get through this? How do we get through this insecurity? How do we get through this uncertainty? How do we get through this grief? How do we, how do we boldly advance into the shadows of uncertainty? Especially when, we, especially when we don't know the plan. Especially when we're like, okay, God, I don't know the way forward. I had my plan and it's gone. How do I move forward? I don't know the way. And that's what we hear St. Thomas, right? In the gospel today, Jesus says, um, where I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas, just Thomas, so good. He says, Master, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And then Jesus says these words that just echo from 2,000 years ago to this day, to this moment, to your heart, where he says, I'm the way. So if you're like, I don't know the plan. I don't know the way. I don't know where to go from now on. Jesus says, okay, listen, listen, listen. I'm the way. Another way to say it is Jesus is saying, I'm the plan. Your plans might have been well thought out. They might have been good plans. Might have even been holy plans. Might have been incredible plans. But Jesus is saying, okay, in this world of insecurity, this world of uncertainty, I'm the plan. Don't have hope in the plan or confidence in the plan. Have hope in me. Have confidence in me. Because God's plan is not that you and I do certain things. But God's plan is that you and I become a certain kind of person. Again, God's plan is not that we do certain things, we accomplish certain goals, or have a certain kind of life. His plan for us is that we become a certain kind of person. Which is why he can say, I'm the way. Continue to walk with me. I'm the plan. Continue to live with me. Because when he's the way, when he's the plan, we learn how to become the kind of person who can recognize him in our joys. We become the kind of people who can hear him even in the darkness. When he's the plan, we become the kind of people who can be loved by him even in the midst of loss, even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of times when our plans are shattered. When Jesus is the plan, we become the kind of people who can know that he is with you wherever you are.
He is the way. He is the plan. And when we realize this, we become the kind of people who know that we can serve him wherever we are. And this is the last thing. Um, I mentioned my mom never got to be a missionary. She said she was too busy being a mom. Later on, when we all left the house, uh, she was able to go on some mission, short-term mission trips to, uh, with my dad doing medical mission stuff in Peru and Haiti. And, um, so probably the way she would say it, she's never got to be a missionary. That she never got to do what Jesus said in Matthew 25 of, you know, going to the hungry and feeding them and going to those who are naked and clothing them and going to those who are ill and in prison and visiting them and caring for them. But I would tell you this, my mom spent her entire life as a missionary. She didn't just go on a couple mission trips at the end of her life. She spent her life as a missionary. Why? Because um, she had his kids. And I don't know if you know how babies come out. They come out pretty naked. <laughs> so she spent her life clothing the naked. And she gave up herself, her time, her very body, feeding the hungry. You moms know about this. How many times your child comes into your room at night and says, I'm thirsty. You say, you go get, you know where the water is, you go get it. No, you get out of bed. And she gave drink to the thirsty. When we were grounded, she visited us. <laughs> but that's what it is, right? We have these dreams, these plans of where God is going to make us holy, where God is going to use us. And very rarely is it somewhere else. Always is it right here. Very rarely is it somewhere, some other time. Almost always is it right now. And even now, now that we're grown and she and my dad are empty nesters for years now, she can't see us, but she prays for us. Can't visit us, but she prays for us. She's not perfect. She'd be the first person to tell you she's not perfect, but she fasts for us. Um, she can't preach, but she sends us email forwards all of the time <laughs> and that, uh, where she tells us what's true and what's good and what we need to know. Uh, and just like your life, um, probably, in my life, probably, it's not glamorous but it's powerful. That she had a plan. And you had a plan. And how you and I are living right now, how you and I are called to live right now, it's probably not glamorous. But it's powerful. And where you are right now, where you're going to be led tomorrow and next week and next year, is to boldly advance into the shadows of uncertainty, to boldly walk through a world of insecurity. And it probably won't be your plan, but it'll be something better. <laughs>